Welcome back to Sesamus Trivia, the podcast where we are absolutely serious all the time, forever. This is Brent. Oh my god, I'm not serious at all. <laughs> and I'm a daddy! <laughs> so, for the solid past five minutes, and Edita, I am so sorry, I'm gonna have the worst time trying to remove noise from this, because Jathan didn't give me the, the patch of silence at the beginning that I need to make that happen. Okay, I tried really hard to do some quiet time. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You were you were laughing from begin to Start now. I almost thought about restarting just because I I, I I didn't have that silence. I don't think we. Did. All right, all right. I think this is this is gonna be okay. Okay, fair enough. Anyways, my nose is running. That's well, it's your fault. So it's not, it's not my fault, Dad. So Jathan has been laughing for the past solid like three minutes straight, and it's about something. You're about really to go stupid. to your room here and in a minute, Sam. I don't think he wants us saying on air why. Okay, so so we're just gonna move past his Riddler-esque, Joker-esque bullshit right now. Dude, he's he's pulling a Killing Joke thing right now. He's gonna... he's, he's he sounds energy. he sounds like the Mark Hamill Joker. On what was it? Bat the new adventures of Batman or whatever the fuck it's called? Yeah, he sounds like the Mark Hamill Joker. The animated one. Anyways. So we've got kind of a smaller episode, I think. I'm not gonna say it's short, because that will jinx us. But I will say that on paper, it looks like it might be. But it probably won't. We are talking about dogs. <laughs> get oh my gosh. I'll wait. Oh my god, don't wait. We are talking about GOGS, GitT, and GitLab. We're going to be doing a comparison of those. But weirdly enough, we are recording on Saturday, and right now it is 4.40 Eastern. Guys, this feels super it weird It does, to me. totally. It's strange. I don't think I like this. I'm used to this being on a Wednesday night at 9 Eastern. Well, if... If Jathan would not thrilling. have just, you know, be completely inflexible on a schedule for this week, you know. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it helps me out too, because I'm packing up for SGDQ, and I, I have to leave like a day or two after we would record anyways. Ah. So this works out better for me too, but, you know, it's still, it's still weird. I don't, I'm not sure I like this. Yeah, well, we'll get past it, it'll be alright. Yeah, what else has been going on? We nominated Edita for president. Yes. Oh yes. yeah, 2032 yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, 2032. Yeah. So Edita will be will be running for candidacy in she 2032. Won't be running, she'll be winning. Well, she'll be winning. You have okay. to, she will you be have the to president. Run first winning. to then, right. you know, be elected. So. You don't right. know how the system is in No, that's that's no, that's absolutely <laughs> that's just absolutely how it is, Jaython. <laughs> that would take years to change. Many many years to change. But Fuck. Nothing's funny. Why would you even You're, be laughing? He's laughing at how yeah, dumb you are. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I don't just laugh. So what are you guys nothing. drinking? Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm drinking chai tea. Lame. Because it is 440 Eastern on a Saturday. Shut up. 440 Eastern on a Saturday. So I'm not drinking anything because it, it feels weird to be drinking this early and not living in New Orleans. So I mean, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. So... Well, it, Brent thought we were recording at yeah. 5 o'clock, so... I did. Yeah. So I really did. Jaython, and it almost fucked what us. What are you drinking there, buddy? 
Water. Ah, lame. I've drank entirely too much the past few days. Oh, okay. Days. All right. And why, why is that? Why, why, why have you been drinking so much? Don't worry about me. <laughs> now, son, your father and, uh, and I are worried about you. Yeah. I mean, sometimes. I mean, All right, just anyway, on the show. The other thing, <laughs> the other thing is I have a conference that starts on Monday. Mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain Genomics HackCon 2018 taking place at BioFrontiers, and I'm supporting some workshops and a hackathon and stuff like that. We're using a bunch of Amazon resources. But you you realize this won't be published until after oh, that, right? Yeah, well, whatever. Anyway, okay. anyway, after all of the days at the conference, usually there's like social outings at night. So I feel like not drinking until I'm forced to in a crowd of people is probably okay. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm there with you. Yeah, I mean, I I guess, but you know, I mean, it's look, Jathan, you just need to live your life, right? right? Seriously, you need to seek the you, inner. You Jathan. need to do it for the fans, Jathan. Yeah, you, you gotta need to do, do it for the fans. fans. Do you want me to go get a beer? I want you to get like six sure. beers. I'm not. Nope. I don't. Okay. Right <laughs> Give me a sec. And while he's doing that, <laughs> well, he does. I that. will tell you what I'm drinking. We've secretly repla- we've secretly replaced Jathan's beer with cat piss. <laughs> Let's see if he notices. I have a diet Dr Pepper. Mm-hmm. You know. So let me get. So wait. Let, let me get this straight. You and I aren't drinking, but we just made Jathan. <laughs> well, yeah. Take beer. one for the team there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he does do it for the fans. He, Listeners, he's doing this for all of you. He does this for his fans. So make fans. sure he also does this because he's probably a raging alcoholic. <laughs> he's not. He's actually not. But he did totally outdrink me at Hope. But I don't drink much these days anyway. I mean, it takes you, know, you like, like, you know, half a year to drink a single bottle, so... Not, it wasn't half yeah. a year, and it was a huge bottle. <laughs> But I do not drink that often, so you should drink well tonight, the whole bottle. Mm, maybe <laughs> no, I did that in college. I'm done with that. I can't. Same. I'm too old for that. Okay. All right. So I picked up a beer from Avery Brewing Company mm-hmm. called Lilikoi Capolo. Gesundheit. It's a Belgian style white ale brewed with spices and passion. That's fruit. what she said. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I haven't opened it yet. <sighs> well, get on it so we can start. Well, you can just do it. No, we're waiting yeah, for you. Yeah, we're waiting Jethan. for you, Jaython. Okay, I just heard him open it. Now okay. we can start. Here we go. Peyton, would you like to take us into the, the news? news? Absolutely. So we don't have a lot to go over this time. It's a, it's a short news session, but there's some good mm-hmm. things in here. So last time we reported that Intel had some really bad documentation. Well, this time, <laughs> they just plain forgot stuff. So... At Computex 2018, Intel premiered a 28-core, 5-gigahertz CPU. There's no name, but, you know, they claim that it hit 5 gigahertz. Except that the only problem is that the CPU is actually extremely overclocked and required massive... It was a golden sample. They had to have industrial water chillers. It needed a 29-phase power. It was a server workstation board, you know... So yeah, they have a they have a twenty eight core five gigahertz, but it's you know not an actual like production ready piece. I mean, if I if I did all that to my i nine, I could probably reach that twenty eight core cell. Yeah, I think I twenty. Yeah, so they're trying to they're trying to compete with AMD's thirty two core Threadripper two. You know, they're just Mm -hmm. they're trying to you know do that. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I have an i nine seventy nine eighty xe. Is that the extreme edition? Idling it. Yes. How many cores do you have? So. Proc CPU info says 36, but that's not always entirely That would be hyper-threading, so probably Um, 18. 
Yeah, could be. But I'll like I also heard that they're the extremes got rid of hyper threading. Mm. So That's I don't know. We will so, yeah, do I think a, a it's probably a theme. But yeah, yeah, I I need to look into that. And the problem is like the X edition, the i9 series is basically vaporware at this point. Like I lucked out. I managed to grab one. There was a super limited yeah, run. Yeah, you got really lucky with that. I'm jelly, super jelly. I mean, not really. It's like it was like a, a cool 1900 so i didn't get that lucky but (laughs) it was a very expensive processor but you know i do a lot of virtualization on my on my box so it definitely helps a lot with that but yeah i don't know i mean i can get it up to four five four point five pretty comfortably so i can probably get it to five if i was if I had access to the same sort of cooling and shit that they were You mean running. an industrial water chiller and, uh, you know, uh... Yeah, I don't even know what the fuck that is. phase uh, power supply. I wonder how much they would do if they did the liquid passive cooling, where you just dunk the entire fucking thing in a tank of... They probably wanted to like, do that, oil. but, uh, anyway, so, so... Yeah, sorry, we're getting yeah. off topic. So they claim that it wasn't an intentional PR misleading, you know, attempt. They just, that someone forgot to, you know, mention that it was overclocked heavily... Mm-hmm. They also kind of forgot about their 10 nanometer chips that they're releasing in 2018 in Q4. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, they just, they seem to have not gotten all their information out to everybody. And so a company that fails to provide adequate documentation, I feel like, you know, is probably not going to be good at remembering, hey, we, we've got this. So this article is mm-hmm. pretty good. The guy goes over, he talks about the top Xeon, which is an 8180. It's a 205 watt part. It has a base clock of 2.5 or 3.8 gigahertz, and then they have a 165-watt 8176 that runs at 2.1 or 3.8. So a lot of speculation is just paperware. It's, look how, look what we can do, you know, and, and really, I mean, like mm-hmm. you said, I mean, your i9 is similar to that, too. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't jump on this if you, uh, you know. I will say I'm happy that AMD is starting to recover from the ATI yeah. buyout, and they're starting to actually innovate yeah. again. Because I think that's where they really should. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they basically, they were the ones that brought us x86-64. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So. I haven't had a gaming rig in a while. You need to get the only time. Well, it's the only time I've really cared about performance on a personal machine. Like, my laptop is relatively powerful because I do some light virtualization on it. And at this point, I'm running my consulting business entirely from a, a laptop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mostly work from my laptop. Yeah, but. The last time, the last two gaming rigs I did have were both AMD processors. Interesting. I think you get so much more for your money, and it runs a couple degrees hotter in some cases or whatever, but I was just never that worried about it. Like, So so here's the thing. I used to be huge into AMD, and then ATI bought them, and then they started sucking. I mean, they just were dead in the water, and I was like, this is, this is it. This is the death of AMD. And that was, what, eight years ago? Seven years ago? When did Could ATI you... buy AMD? Yeah, I was going to say, remind me, when did that actually take place? Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, AMD bought ATI. One of the... Th- it it was a merger which, between which the two. Direction. It okay. was about eight years ago. I, I want to say eight years ago. Could be wrong. We'll check the errata and have that in there, but... Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the errata. They definitely... What the fuck ever, but... I mean, it was definitely... It became... Yeah, I remember it became ATI AMD versus NVIDIA Intel, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Which, but, yeah, at but some point... Intel like, doesn't own NVIDIA. Right. That's right, the difference. Right, right. So, but, you know, when that happened, however, which direction it did, whether it was a merger, whether it was an acquisition, whatever, the AMD chips, the CPUs, not the GPUs, the, the CPUs definitely suffered for it. Right. 
and they just they stopped they got lazy they they stopped innovating so much they started copying intel instead of the other way around yeah. i mean they, granted that's how they started you know they basically copied the intel instruction set but like that's that's because intel was the only ones doing x86 i think at the well, time. so yeah and the other interesting thing is that now that amd has slightly recovered and they're doing better it now has caused mm-hmm. intel to get off their ass and actually like you know do a good job with their chips. Like before it was just Intel. Like you, you could pick AMD, but it was mm-hmm. like, eh, it was like, why, why would you, it's, it's, you, you know, your yeah. only choice was Intel. And now Intel's like, Oh shit, we've, we've really screwed up. We've got Spectre. We've got meltdown, even though it's it, like AMD is vulnerable. Well, to, I mean, you know, parts, parts of it. Of it still, yeah. It's a know. parts of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's like a revival of the, what? Late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Two yeah. thousands. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of cool in that aspect. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like Intel won't be able to keep up, so I may become an AMD fanboy again. I just remember computers catching on fire with AMD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do run they hot. Do. They really That's do. true. They run hotter. They're not like literally. I mean, they did catch on fire. Yes, that was <laughs> a thing. That, that was totally a thing. Uh, so I guess I I can't say like <laughs> That's pretty hot, j Yeah, but no, 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 no. So, but I mean, like more so. Like I think at this point, AMD or Intel has been so. Resting on their lawyer laurels on their lawyers, laurels. they have been resting on their lawyers, resting on their laurels so much that they just they aren't as motivated to be competitive anymore. And I think that their entire company has changed structuring around that fact. Yeah, because that's yeah. you know I mean it kept them going, and you know like I said early two thousands, and then AMD stuff kind of slowed down, and they're like, all right, well we don't have to try so hard now. And I think they've restructured a lot of the company around that right. so now they need to scramble to get that out and i can see their chips suffering as a result yeah so i think this might be doom for intel's heyday i don't think they'll ever return to former glory after yeah this i mean well especially you know the whole do- their documentation sucks thing specter meltdown this i mean yeah they've made a series of serious mistakes and we i mean we're way off the topic of the of the news but uh, you know we go uh, yeah they made a we, we, we got they've made a, a series of just ridiculous mistakes that at this point like you said i mean amd's like hey we have a chance to catch them and intel's like yeah mm-hmm. we're still in the lead and here comes you know the tortoise, so to speak, you, you and know the hair why? chase, and here he comes, like, you know, no big deal, I can catch you, you know? What? You know why? Because AMD, both having the graphics, the GPU component, and yeah, NV- NVIDIA is also winning mm-hmm. that, too, granted. But since they have an- other sources for keeping afloat, they can sink into taking risks with their CPUs that Intel can't afford to do. That, I think, is yeah going to yeah. bring AMD out I can on agree top. with that. But whatever, you know, I mean, this is, I don't want to get too much into this because we're we, not. We already kind of have, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we took a huge detour. It's okay. There. It's all right. It's good. It's good conversation. So, you know. It is good content. And, and I'm really hoping that it generates at least one email from a spammer. I mean, uh, from a listener. <laughs> oh, yeah. that one fucking yeah. guy. Yeah, no, we'll. Him, but yeah. We'll handle him. So, don't worry about it. We'll next thing we him. have is, in 2016, remember, we reported quite a few times about the Sam Bernardino shooter and his mm-hmm. Apple iPhone. Well, Apple has decided that, well, they insist that only the owner can open an iPhone, which technically is true, but the FBI has used a third party to open the phone, the iPhones in some cases, and they even sued Apple to do so. 
since yeah, that case, stupid. a lot of law enforcement has been doing the same thing. Hey, fuck Apple, we're going to go ahead and use a third party. Well, yeah. Apple has decided to close that loophole, to close that security vulnerability. So they have an update, a pending update, I think it's probably already out. It will disable the charging slash data port an hour after the phone is locked. So this allows charging, but to do a data transfer would require the phone to be unlocked. So what's been happening is that, like oh. like the United States Police, they've used a device called the Gray Key. Mm-hmm. They use that to unlock 96 iPhones in the last year, and that costs $15,000. So there are two main companies who are doing this third-party unlocking. It's Celebrite, which we've reported on before, I think last episode. Mm-hmm. It's an Israeli forensics firm that's owned by Sun Corporation in Japan. And then there's Grayshift, which was founded by a former Apple engineer in 2016. So before this device came out, what law enforcement would do is just brute force the password. So they'd enter in every mm-hmm. password that was available. Now they have these great keys or these devices that allow you to bypass the restrictions that Apple put on. And they're also using these great key devices. So when the article reached out to us, a New York Times article, um, when they reached out to Celebrite, they declined a comment and Grayshift did not respond to requests for comment. I, you know, I feel like, you know, your phone is... You're right, and I think you need to have a warrant, in my opinion, to be able to access a device. And if you know, if ordered, then you should be, then people should be ordered to open their phone. But we also talked two weeks ago about the customs agency who, or two episodes ago, the customs agency, who, U.S. Customs, who uh, went through the dude's phone and he sued. You know, mm-hmm. so again, this is a pretty interesting article. I, you know, it's uh, it's just security, so to speak. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, it's. I want to know why it took Apple so long to do something about it. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know why they have decided that they want to make a change. I think it's because they're tired of the government asking them to open the phones. If they can tell the government, "Hey, we we can't do this anymore. You're 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 going to have to do it yourself," and they already are. So now Apple's going to be like, "All right, well, great. Well, we're going to turn that off, and now you guys have to figure it out on your own." You know. Like, I think that that helps. I'm sure that Apple is completely, you know, 100% for the U.S. government. I rolled my eyes there, if you can't tell. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, like, they keep getting ordered to cooperate. And it's like, well, look, we can't do it anymore. And I I really feel like, you know, part of this is that they don't want to do it anymore, you know? I think Apple wants to be the U.S. government. I, sure. (laughs) Plot twist. Plot 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 twist. twist. So... Since 2013, they've had about 55,000 requests from the United States government seeking information about the devices, either accounts or financial identifiers, or the devices themselves. In the first 10 months of 2017, so most of the year, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office used recovered and tamed warrants or consent to search 702 locked smartphones, two-thirds of which were iPhones. So smartphones running Google's Android software have been generally easier to access, partly because many devices lack encryption. So, again... Who knows the real reason why Apple is doing this? I'm glad they're doing it. Maybe it'll set a precedent, and you know we can stop getting our your phones searched every which way to Sunday. Mm-hmm. The next thing we have is talking about secure devices. Was we have actually have an article from Microsoft. It's the seven properties of secure devices, and so they have a nice little list here. And I'm not going to go over everything in this list. I will read the list, and then I will touch briefly on the list, but it's about 10 pages worth of reading. It's good reading. It makes a lot of sense, the things that they say. So the first one is a hardware-based root of trust, which is essentially unforgeable cryptographic keys generated and protected by hardware. So 
you know, that would prevent, like, you know, being able to plug in and reformatting or, you know, getting access to what have you. Small trusted computer bay, computing base. So the private keys are stored in a hardware protected vault and accessible to software. Defense in depth, which is multiple mitigations applied against each threat. Countermeasures mitigate the consequences of a successful attack on any one vector. And then there's compartmentalization. So that is a hardware-enforced barrier between software components that prevent a breach in one from propagating to others. Certificate-based authentication. This is a signed certificate that's proven to be unforgeable and proves the device identity authenticity. However, that one's going to be a caveat because of our baddie. Renewable security. That will bring the device forward to a secure state and revokes compromised assets. And then failure reporting. So you obviously want to know if someone has attempted or if your software has failed. Software failure. Hey, you remember remember when Microsoft tried to do something like this and then their key got leaked? Yeah, yes, yes. We, will, we won't talk about that. Now, but, I mean, here's... Because we did yeah, already. Right. Here's the thing, though. I think this is actually really great because it is laid out in black and white. Hey, these are the things that you need to do to make sure you have a secure device. Obviously, implementing these things is another story entirely. We can't trust Microsoft to do so. <clears throat> Did I say that long? <sighs> no, no, we can't. <laughs> they tried and they, they so failed. So, basically, they came up with something called Sopris. And Sopris is going to... Sopris. Sopris. S-O-P-R-I-S. Mm-hmm. They used... A microcontroller, which is a Wi-Fi-enabled MT7687, and it has a CPU, RAM, it has GPIO pads, it's got a 12-bit ADC, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, 802.11bgn, and you know, you can, it's a basically a small board. Well, they were for a second there. I thought you said GPIO pants, <laughs> but no, he used yeah, that pants. They worked Sorry. with MediaTek. Okay. They extended the board out quite a bit, and so they used another thing called Pluton to help create this software. Again, it's a good, interesting read. The question is, of course, can you trust Microsoft to actually implement these things? Who knows? Yeah. But that's, I, again, I no. thought it was interesting. <laughs> you know, I figured, hey, might as well talk about it. We can mm-hmm. certainly take comments about it, you know. And Brent, do you happen to have a linuxforums.org user account? No. Did you delete it recently? Actually. No, I never created one because I fucking hate forums. So linuxforums.org had a breach. In May 2018, they suffered a breach that disclosed 276,000 unique email addresses. So that's probably their entire user base. They were using an old version of vBulletin. And also the breach included usernames, IP addresses, and salted MD5 password hashes. And to add on to this, the mods appear to be deleting posts about the breach. Wow. <laughs> That's now, some fucking bullshit. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a salted and hashed password, that's almost impossible to... No. No? No. Uh, no. Well, you can... No. It all depends on the actual password used to create it. The reason you salt it... Mm-hmm. is so you don't get to do it en masse. So you can't use, like, rainbow tables right. against, you know, where you crack one password that's and you right. immediately have all the other people. That's who are, right, yeah. that's right. But, I mean, salted MD5 should be, that's still, I don't want to say it's trivial, but, I mean, if you're a dedicated cracker and you got a good cracking rig, yeah, yeah right. it's... Or you just call the FBI. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess. Most people can't just call yeah. the FBI. I mean, I call the NSA for my backups, so, you know... <laughs> Oh my gosh. 
No, so, like, it would have been better if they were using, say, Assaulted Shot 512. Mm -hmm. But it it still doesn't guarantee that it's uncrackable. You know, it all depends on the seed, in in which case, in this case, it's it's the password itself is the seed. Right, right, right. Makes sense. Or I guess that you should say the the value, plain text value. But yeah, so, like, you obviously already have the salt, so it's just a matter of just iterating through and trying to brute force. I mean, could we just talk about how this is a website that doesn't, force SSL on their login page. I mean, wow. I mean we, we could. I just And I up. don't think we do for our page, but you know, again, that's because number one, we don't we have don't logins. Have a login um, form. I mean, we right, do, we but it's not right. for users and, you know, I enforce right, exactly. I enforce SSL for that page. But also because a lot of podcast clients hate how strict our HTTPS setup is. So I'm like, all right, fucking fine, whatever. You're stupid, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I mean, that's why we do it. So, yeah, I think it's stupid for a forum not to do that. That's ridiculous. Why would they? Most forums don't. I, I mean, I don't understand if why. you have, but the thing is, if you have any user data at all whatsoever, mm-hmm. it needs to be protected. You need to enforce uh, SSL. You need to make sure that it's, again, salted and hashed, whatever. Whatever you need to do, however you need to do it, but it needs to be protected. And, you know, I think that something like this where they are not doing it correctly, I think is, you know, I'm almost glad they got breached because now people are not going to use them anymore. But I think the worst part of this is that they're deleting posts about it. You know? Yeah. More than anything else. Yeah, that's bullshit. I think that's ridiculous. So, that's paid with the news. Back to you, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny. Yeah, so, as I mentioned... I got this. You got this? I got this. You want to talk about this? I'm going to talk about it. You got to bring us into this? Bringing us in. Okay. Yeah, bringing us in for landing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway. So, we talked last episode. If you didn't listen to last episode, you should pause it right now. Pause us. Here. Go listen to last episode. <laughs> also, I'm choking. So, like, there's that. Don't die, Jason. Stop. Stop choking. Actually, you don't really have to listen to last episode. But one of the questions I asked Brent was, like, how, if you're evaluating a new piece of software that you maybe hadn't heard of before... And you're evaluating it for production use, like what things become important, like how do you examine the project and its community and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which, which episode to... was that? Where we talked about that? The last one, whatever the S3E8? No, I don't think it was the last. I think it was a couple of ones before that. I want to no, say it was the I last say, episode. Like, I'm looking while you're talking. Okay. Well, anyway, I was specifically referencing a piece of software called GOGS, which is like a self-hosted Git solution. And so we decided that we would all install GOGS, and we ended up installing a couple of other pieces of software as well. Some of us did. I don't know if Peyton did or not. Maybe. I did. I totally did. I rank, I, rank, I got GOGS sitting there right now. Yeah. Did you do GitT as well? I did not do GitT. Okay. I, thought yeah. I was but doing GOGS. But he already did GitLab. But you've done too. GitLab. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, and I also have GitLab at all. Yeah. So anyway, essentially what we're going to talk about now is our experience with them. We will probably propose out of the three when you might consider using them or not and we will also wrap up by talking about like what red flags stood out to us in terms of these projects and like if we were evaluating these for production use for our companies you know respectively wherever we were what stood out to us what would our decision ultimately be based on what we found through our tests does that all seem reasonable yeah but you're sure you're still wrong by the way about what that it was not s3e8 where we talked about that it was the last episode we did was not Oh, yes, it hasn't released yet. That's why you're saying it hasn't. Also, still not. 
How? Because last episode we talked about GitHub being bought by Microsoft, and that's what brought us into this. No, I asked you specifically about evaluating software. Are you sure? Yes, it's the episode that we'll publish tomorrow. Well, tomorrow for us, but not for the listeners, because they're right. Listening. But that's why you're not thinking of the right episode, you dumbass. No, I'm I'm almost positive it was an older episode. But whatever, I'll put it, it in the errata. What the fuck ever. You know, yeah, you might be right because it wasn't in the oh. topic list for the scratch for the scratch yeah, pad. Right, it wasn't because your fucking random ass brought it up out of nowhere, unscheduled. But yeah, I, I think you might be right on that actually. I am wow. right. I'm sorry, Jathan. I am Thank sorry. You, Dad. <laughs> Potentially sorry. We'll see if he was actually right. <laughs> Potentially sorry. What a fucking it's, half it's, it's Schrodinger's apology. <laughs> That's not how it's, apology works. No, it is. It's both an apology and not an apology at the same time. Okay. Anyways. Anyway, yeah. So who wants to start actually talking about their experience with this? Should we, let's just, so Peyton and I have been using GitLab for a long time now, mm. right? Yeah. So I, let's just I, start I, with GitLab because I think I... And Peyton will have more to say for sure. Okay. Yeah, I've only I only yeah, let's, let's took it for a spun for like about so twenty minutes. I work oh my god, I'm gonna sneeze probably. Peyton, talk about GitLab. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously GitLab is self hosted and or you can, you know, use the remote cloud version of it if you want. It's essentially GitHub, but it's you know, it's your own system, it's your own setup. You don't have to worry about being exposed to the world because you missed a password or whatever unless you have it set to you know be uh on on the net i like the way it groups projects I like the way it does groups activity i definitely have several different projects i have going on and i just use each machine as a project and that way i can merge and combine and you know add and then i can you know make one master so to speak project and then start using that as my deployment it does use quite a bit of memory I believe uh, I have it set to four gigs and I'm pretty much maxing that all the time. Mm. It does the pipelines. It does the tracking of the commits. I mean, it, it does everything you need. It's everything. Now with, it is written in, what is it? I, I, I'm not sure what GitLab is written in. I think it's Ruby. I want to say. I think there are Ruby components. Yeah. I don't think the whole thing is written in Ruby, but it could be actually Rails. I don't know. What I really like about GitLab for sure is just that there are a lot of options, right? You have the community edition that's entirely self-hosted and there's no support. Right. You have community edition that you buy support for, which I think they call enterprise edition. Mm -hmm. And then you can also yes. use GitLab's hosting, like the company has their own hosting. So you have three options really, which I think is a good bit of flexibility because you can also move between them pretty easily. If, right. you're, if you're using community edition for a year and all of a sudden your organization grows... You're having some growing pains. You're all of a sudden finding you can't support yourself adequately anymore or something like that. You can always buy support, which is nice. Now, there's a couple different tiers of the ho of their hosting version, right? Well, there's the free, like, and that's pretty much comparable to a free GitHub account. Mm -hmm. I think you get, like, one or two private repositories. The rest are public. You get access to GitLab pages, which is, like, if you wanted to host a static website and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I don't know what their pricing looks like because I've never looked at it. Like, even at work, we have, I think we just passed 450 accounts on our GitLab instance at work. Yeah, I can't remember the exact, I mean, it's on their website. We'll link to it in the show notes. But yeah, yeah, I seem to rec recall four tiers for the quote-unquote cloud uh, oh, GitLab. Wow. That's, that's wild. But yeah, yeah. In any case, my machine at work is used 
a bit more than pins, I think. So mm-hmm. I can tell you mine, it is not actually on dedicated hardware. It's on a virtual machine on a high availability VM mine's cluster. On, mine's on a VM as well. He, he was oh, saying okay. he uses his, his GitLab repos for machine turnup. Got it. Yeah. Well, in any case, I'm supporting almost 500 users now. Mm-hmm. Ours is public. Mm-hmm. You can go, you know, check out code. You can create an account if you want to interact with the issue tracking or whatever. Would you like to provide us with the URL for that, Jathan? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> if you, I mean, it's public, so if you want to find it, you'll find it. Okay. I'm not going to open myself up to that kind of. Abuse. I'm putting it in the show notes. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I have 16 gigs of RAM, mm-hmm. and I would say I pretty consistently use around five or six yeah how much do you have on it 16 16 okay all right but that's quite a bit but i mean i'm running it for a huge number of people and obviously i'm supporting scientific research so like if your personal git lab instance goes down it's probably not as big of a deal mm-hmm. but also I, I imagine also like you're not keep in mind that's yeah that's five or six gigs for a shit ton of people but they're also all not using it concurrently right I mean, not all at one time, but there's different levels, I guess, of use, too. Right? Sure, sure, but I doubt... Phase, you can use it via SSH. I doubt you never have, have all 500 users using it at once. Oh, yeah, probably not. Yeah, yeah. The most that I've seen is, like, when I was teaching a workshop using GitLab, mm-hmm. I had 30 people in one room all, like, cloning a single repository and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the first time that I ever experienced a problem, and that was when I upped the RAM, because it actually maxed out and it, it crashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that was back when it still only had 4 gigs. So I went from 4 to 16 just to make sure I never had that experience again. Mm-hmm. I just don't even think about it now. How did it? How well did it recover from the crash? Oh, it was totally fine. Okay, I just restarted cool. the GitLab CE service, Yeah, and it all came back. Cool. Okay, so I this was my first time installing GitLab. I literally did it about 40 minutes before we started recording or so. And the... You know, I tried all three. I tried GOGS, GitT, and GitLab, because I hadn't used any of them before. And I can definitely say that the process of installing GitLab, I hated the least. And I phrase it that way specifically Uh and intentionally. I definitely agree, by the way. GitLab is super easy to install. I mean, I I was... Yeah, yeah. It takes a while. It does. Yeah. It does. It, it does take it, a while. That's but... what I hate. That was one of the things I hated about it. It was how long it took. Granted, it wasn't man hours. So, like, you can, you know, just work yeah, on right. other things. Set it and forget it. Get a cup of tea, whatever. And it worked, I would say, mostly out of the box, you know, upon turn up, which is great. Yeah, I mean, it comes with Nginx. It comes with an MTA. I don't like that so much. I, I don't. I don't like. Don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it when people bundle their own shit that's already in repositories. I installed it from their RPM repository. Yeah, that's how I did it too. And I will say, updates take almost as long as installing. Oh, that's that's so how, that is how often do the updates usually come? Uh, I mean, that? they're kind of as needed, right? So uh, well, usually, yeah, I, you apply I don't it as needed, my... but how often do they usually release? Is is what I should get at. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like a security update. They don't really wait. There's no, like... Okay. Yeah. So, like, if they have back-to-back-to-back security releases, then it's like, oh... Then it's boom, boom, boom. Yeah. But if it's just updates for features, I honestly don't keep track because I literally... I only log in if I see that it's a security thing. I schedule a downtime. Mm -hmm. If it's not and it's just a, like, feature update or whatever, I just literally wait until there's a security one. What do you do for uh, stuff like stability fixes? If it's not affecting my stability... Mm-hmm. I don't worry about okay. it usually. Got it. Yeah, so like I said, like, you know, they do have instructions and they're well written, 
But, and you know, I didn't look at any of the other instructions. I looked purely at the CentOS 7, because that was our testbed criteria. Yep. I looked purely at the CentOS 7 stuff. I gave the VM the same size as my GOGS and GIT-T test VMs. Yeah. 10 gig yeah. disk. I forget what CPU. Just the default, whatever I had set in Libvirt. And a 1 gig of RAM. And that fucked wow. me. That fucked me yeah, yeah. during the install. Yeah. So yeah, you cannot do it with one gig of RAM for GitLab. Period. Two. Full stop. Two is two is pushing. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I was hitting I was hitting ooms left and right out of memories. Yeah. So so that left a sour taste in my mouth. Another thing that left a sour taste in my mouth was you have to. It uses an environment variable when you install with yum. And that absolutely breaks packaging standards. It should yeah. not do that, period. And that has several security implications that I worry about. It has some automation implications I worry about. Additionally, into that, when they write in their documentation, when they, you know, have you set up the repository, keep in mind, they already have separate instructions for each, like, su- officially supported distro and version, major version. They tell you to curl a script and pipe it to bash. Don't ever fucking do this, guys. Like, it, don't just don't. It's a bad. It's bad news. It's bears. a bad idea. It's a bad idea. But 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 but, there's no reason to run the script. Just fucking curl the repo file into your yum.repos.d. I don't know why they even have you do that in the first place. I don't know why you're running a script just to install a repository. It makes no sense. So the one thing I will say, you know, ultimately. We're talking about uh, evaluating these projects, like how do you decide if it's appropriate to install them for your organization? Right? Mm-hmm. That is supposed to be, anyway, sort of the basis of this discussion. But the one thing I will say, I think something that goes along with that is like, how much time am I going to spend not only installing this, but supporting my users? And well, installing and thing... configuring, you should, you should, yeah, like but, this. but I mean, those, they're, they're both one time tasks, yeah. But how much time am I going to spend teaching my users how to use this or whatever? Mm. And the one thing that I will say is GitLab comes with end user documentation for like generating SSH keys and adding them to GitLab and all that shit. Every piece of documentation I've ever written from their like knowledge base, and it comes with GitLab. So if you install it, the documentation is automatically there. Yeah. Yeah. It has been fucking amazing. Like so much Mm. better than GitHub's. Just so like I do think that if you're considering a self hosted Git solution, Having access to that documentation for your users who maybe don't know a whole lot about Git is completely worthwhile, and I think it's worth considering that alongside something like GOGS or Git-T, which don't come with the same level of documentation. They actually, I wanted to bring that up, and I, I was sitting here trying to figure out how I would do that without bringing us into them. They don't. What they yeah, do right. is they link to GitHub yeah. documentation. Yeah, and GitHub documentation, I actually never really read it, right? Like, I know how to generate message it's all right. It's fucking bad. But they're generating an SSH key page. It's okay, but it's not. It's not. No, it's good. bad. There's a specific page that I actually sent out to some hackathon people for the event that I'm running next week, mm-hmm. and you know I sent it out because I was like, oh, GitHub's documentation is probably pretty good for this, and I had several people come back and be like, hey, I use Windows. It doesn't address Windows at all. That's yeah. kind of surprising. And the other thing about it is. The page, if you click on the link at like the top level of their documentation, is like generating an SSH key. Mm-hmm. But then on that same page, it goes on to adding the key to SSH agent and all this other shit. And I'm like, yeah, most people don't need that. That's ridiculous. Right. That's definitely, yeah, yeah. It's nine times out of ten, users don't need that. Yeah. And they do it anyways because they the documentation says so. Because users 
follow documentation to the letter. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Oh, yeah. Sometimes when they actually read it. And, like, you know, kudos to you for actually following documentation if you do. But, like, at the same time, like, there's a difference between following the docs and grokking the docs. Okay, so we do have problems with GitLab, right? I mean, it's, I will say of the three I've tested, I liked it the most. If you have a large organization, you're looking for self-hosted Git. Exactly. And you need the graphical features. GitLab, hands down, I think is the right solution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah now I, I can, agree. I, can go with that. I think if you're a single user, or, or I'm going to say less than five people, and you're not necessarily planning to utilize the wiki or the issue tracking or anything else, mm-hmm. GitLab is too much. I would also, I would tack on, if you were a, me- I would say, I mean, you, you almost took the words right out of my mouth. I would say if you are a medium to large or like, you know, enterprise, whatever, level business and slash or you deal exclusively or maj- or like the majority in open source software that the for public consumption, yeah. it's great for it. it. It lets your users interact with you, your outside users, like not just your clients slash customers, not just internally. It lets actual users of this open source software, totally unrelated to you, interact with you and prove the software. So I'm like, okay, I can get that. That is, that's cool. But it's huge. It's a huge piece of software. The installation is not for faint of heart. It's a little, it feels a little walled garden-y to me or monolithic. Like it has that kind of vibe to it. But I, of the three, I did like it the most. What do you guys want to talk about? You guys want to talk about Gogs? We should talk about Gogs next. Yeah, let's go Gogs next because we originally, last episode when we brought this up, we originally decided we would just install Gogs. Mm-hmm. And what we very quickly found, at least Brent and I like started digging around that night. Yeah. And it became very apparent very quickly that Gogs was not necessarily well maintained. And there was a fork that had been much more heavily developed called Gitty. I it's, do, before you jump in further, I do want to say Gogs is not dead. It's, it's not, not dead. dead. It's not dead. But it's not well-maintained. Right. I did not like Gogs. If you were going to consider Gogs, I would say don't waste your time, just go to Git-T. Mm. Oh, yeah? Interesting that you say that. Mm-hmm. So here's because... here's my take. So I'm... Well, yeah, and, and we're kind of talking a little amorphously because yeah. we haven't actually talked about Gogs yet, so maybe we should do that. Yeah, l- well, let's talk about Gogs, yeah. So it is, it's written in Go, right? It has several different components. They have CentOS packages, which is great. Their documentation is lacking. I found their documentation Severely lacking. lacking. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Especially it was the installation terrible. stuff. And even with the installation oh. stuff for the RPM, there were yeah. numerous inconsistencies. They have you doing things like using wget. Base CentOS install does not have wget. It has curl. Yeah. And, you know, this is for, again, CentOS-specific installs was this documentation. So... Why would they not tailor it if they, if you here's my take on it if you offer documentation for a specific distribution and version the documentation should work flawlessly with that version it should be tailored to that version don't make me right. like you got to go in with like zero assuming the the reader has zero knowledge that's how you write good documentation yeah it makes your documentation more wordy yeah it makes it a little bit more painful for more advanced users to get through but that's why you split that stuff off in a separate manual the thing that that i'm sitting here looking at is that their byline is a painless self-hosted git service i found it painless generally speaking i did not find it terrible but it lacks a bit in the feature department and i did happen to notice very early on that gogs is a self-hosted git solution and they don't use gogs for hosting their code yeah 
Yeah, same with Gitty. <laughs> yeah. Same with Gitty. Yeah. So that's but GitLab uses GitLab to host themselves. Yeah, so like like why don't you have the right, confidence in your own project to you know like when your primary like if you want a mirror to GitHub yeah sure what the fuck ever but when your primary project is Git yeah. hosting and you use right. another third party to host that project as like the primary centralized host that to me shows a lack of confidence right in your you. product. I'm right there with you. So that's okay, you know, whatever. But they just had terrible documentation. Like, and the documentation has you installing Nginx from the upstream Nginx repository. It's in fucking yeah. Apple. Have them install Apple and yeah. install from there. That's literally CentOS right. maintained. It's Red Hat maintained. They have you the default Nginx config snippet that they provide in the configuration. Doesn't fucking oh, work. Not good. Doesn't no fucking way. work at all. So I, I just had to connect directly to the port, which, of course, you know, all major browsers now prevent you from doing. I had to actually edit the Firefox preferences registry, wherever the fuck it's called, about config. I had to go go in there, add a new key just to get it to use port 6000. That's more of a gripe on Firefox and Chrome's end than anything. But, you know, like, why couldn't you just run it on 8080? That's already whitelisted in these browsers. Yeah, I, I mean, and there were some parts where the documentation was just plain wrong. It doesn't tell you to run GOGS configure, which you absolutely need. And then yeah, it, it didn't tell it you to system to CTL Gogs start GOGS. You know, like, it's yeah. very lacking. The documentation is absolutely lacking. Another thing I didn't like is GOGS is trying way too hard to be GitHub. Yeah. Way too hard. You know, they yeah. basically copied the UI down. Exactly. And yeah. that left a sour note in my mouth. Now, GOGS is super easy to customize the layout of, if you know some CSS and JavaScript and shit. It's super easy to do that because it's split into separate components for that. And I appreciate that. I like modular atomic approaches to things because it lets me override stuff that I want to override. That's great. That's fantastic. It does have LDAP support, which is a plus, but it's weak. You know, like you can't manage users' SSH keys with it. Or read, I guess. You can't, like, provide access to a user. A user can't allow access to the repositories based on the SSH, SSH keys they already have in LDAP. Granted, it's not officially a part of the LDAP spec for POSIX, but, like, there's a widespread use case for it. And yeah. it's already got, like, a colloquial spec. So use that at the very least. Or something, you know? So I have my problems with it. Who didn't talk about Gogzet? Jathan. I didn't really, but okay, I mean, yeah, I think yeah, you go. hit all the major points. My biggest thing yeah. was their documentation, for sure. Yeah. Oh. I had to use a third party. I had to use several different third party sources to get a, a better idea of what needed to actually be done. Mm. You know, and I finally was able to get it running. And, and I mean, like you said, I hate to, you know, kind of repeat what you're saying, but. I'm looking at the installation guide, and nowhere there do they say, like you said, get config or GOG configure yep. or even GOG. They web, just assume you know? you know to do that. And right, and right. Another problem with their packaging, it shoves it all in fucking opt. Yeah. Oh my god! You do not do that. I, oh. You don't do that. If you're packaging software, you package it right according to the FHS slash the file system. Mod uh, layout used by the distro. That's what you do. You use opt right. if you're using like a jar file. If you're using like source code directly from somebody. If you receive like a proprietary tarball from a vendor, that's what goes on opt. It's like these people never fucking read the FHS. Sorry, FSH. Right? No, FHS. Fuck. 
I'm just so mad, I can't even get the acronym right. Fucking A. Sorry, dude. Sorry. <sighs> sorry, Jathan, I cut you off. I was angry about that. No, you're fine. You're totally uh, I fine. did too. I'm, so, I'm sorry too, Jathan. It was really just the same thing. Mm. I fucking hate... I hate when things go up. That I, don't belong. Up. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Wow, yeah, alright, so on to Git T. <sighs> alright, so... I'm just gonna I'm gonna lay into this. So the first major ding is that they don't have a they don't even have a packaged RPM. They they used to offer Debian packages, but they got rid of those too because they weren't being maintained. So that's that a is main, not a deal breaker in and of itself, though. For an enterprise deployment, absolutely is. For enterprise, sure, but I don't know small office. I mean, people. I mean, granted, if your if your business literally depends on this, you'd probably package it internally, sure, but. My point is, like, yeah. this is meant to be an add-on service unless you're literally a Git hosting provider, you know? So, like, fuck that. Fuck that. It's really not that hard to make RPMs. Or devs. What gets me steamed is they had devs and they got rid of them because they weren't being maintained. Like, fuck you. Anyways, so that means you also need to install Git manually when you do this. Their docs, again, mentioned use wget instead of curl. And, like, they need to... Granted, their docs aren't specified specifically to CentOS 7 like GOGS was. But you need to consider that not all, not every distro comes with wget pre-installed, especially an enter- the most widely used enterprise distro, like CentOS slash REL. You know, they just... Doesn't come with wget. They don't come yeah. with wget by default. I mean, granted, it's super easy to install. Just yumy install wget, whatever. But the point is, you need to consider that... All users might not know that. If they don't, I'm of the opinion they shouldn't be anywhere near a, a server in a production environment, but that's my opinion, whatever. Yeah, and you know, well, not in, reality. General, in general, when I'm doing scripting or like mm-hmm. trying to make things that will be distributed, I just use curl. I don't use wget, period. Yeah, yeah. Because I shouldn't assume that people have it. Well, the problem is like some distros don't, some distros do come with wget and don't come with curl. I think there's one or two that don't. So you need to provide examples of both. So if one, so you need to say, like, you can try this. I would try with curl first since most distros already have it. You can say, try this command. If you get an error about curl missing, try this command, you know, and you have wget second. That's how I would do it. But I also nerd out over writing documentation and writing good documentation. Anyways, as far as documentation is concerned, yes. and I might be outside of the norm on this. But realistically, my opinion is that if you're going to write documentation or install guide or, you know, install documentation, it should not be to the sysadmin's level. It should be to, you should assume a user level. Mm. And hold on, let me get it out there. I really feel like, you know, if you make assumptions of someone's level, you're going to miss something. No, uh, yeah, no, good, say, good documentation, especially for install stuff, is thorough. It assumes zero knowledge, right. like I mentioned earlier in the show. Right, yeah. that's... Right, yeah. I'm just going off of that. I, I really I, feel yeah, like I see what you're saying. you should not write for the engineer. You should write for the user. And then the engineer can, of course, you know... I'm saying you should write for everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying you should write for right. everyone. And if you right. have advanced functionality, put that in a separate section. Don't right. assume it. Right. Don't not include or, it. But You know, at the very top, you can put advanced, uh, advanced notes. Yeah. And then, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. someone can skip down to the clearly bottom. Clearly separate. Whatever. Yeah, clearly you know, separate right, components exactly. out. But offer both. Right, Exactly. And I just really, you know, I feel like if you do that, mm-hmm. you have more adoption for these things. I'm looking at the Git T stuff right now, and it's literally on a GitHub page, mm-hmm. and it has all the, you know, all the different things you need versus the GOGS page, which is like, you know, it says the prerequisites, but you don't really need to do this, mm-hmm. you know, 
you need to do this, you know, but not if you don't want to do that. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make as much sense to me. Yeah. For the Gogs versus Git yeah. And then the GitLab pages, I think it's literally like, do this, add this repo, and install. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, again, like, I don't like that they use a script to install the repo. Like, I think that's right. stupid, right. but whatever. The point is they have a repo. Their repo is, I think they maintain their own repo, which is a plus. Yeah. That's not a ding. That's a plus. But, I mean, back to Gitty, like, again, there was another instance where it was distro-specific, and if you're writing non-distro-specific documentation, that you need to take into consideration, that you need to write your documentation around that functionality. They tell you to use add user, and they specify the geckos field. Add user on CentOS, or even I should say Mm -hmm. non-Debian-based distros, does not have the geckos field. Yeah. There's two basic forks of it, and the one that the CentOS and RHEL use don't have that. What they should have done is use fucking user add, which is consistent across all distros. That's what they yeah. should have done. Right. Like, exactly. shit like that. Like, why would you not do that? Gogs is a single binary. I mean, it's open source, so you can compile it yourself if you're worried about, you know, auditing it or something. But it is a single binary, which has its pluses and minuses. It's e- much easier to deploy, of course. But it didn't come with any system d unit so you'd have to write yourself granted it's a single binary so it makes it a little easier but it is possible to tweak the interface like you can gogs but it's a little bit more complicated so it's not ideal let's see yeah there's one thing we haven't talked about at all what's that and we didn't talk about like looking into any of the open issues with any of these projects oh i want to save that for last because there's that's a fun a fun and like a schadenfreude kind of way. I want to finish up with Gitty here and then ask you two for your through input and then we can talk about that. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, it's single binary. As far as the interface, it looks less like it's trying to be GitHub. You still have that kind of feel there, but you can tell they switched stuff around because they're like, uh, we could probably improve this UX aspect. So it feels like they're less stuck on trying to be a GitHub clone like Gogs is. Yeah. And they do have some additional functionality. They have things like user-specified hooks that I did not see in Gogs, importing repositories. These are functionalities that are in GitHub that weren't in Gogs, stuff like that. So I do appreciate that. However, and you know, keep in mind, like I did the same test for Gogs and GitLab too. Created a user through the admin user, logged into the regular user, created a repo, cloned the repo, added a file, committed the file, pushed the file. A pretty simple test. With Git I could not clone the repo that I created. That's I stopped <laughs> dead in the water right there. And that to me is killing it. Like, yeah, I probably could have fixed it, but why the fuck should I? It's a vanilla CentOS right. image. I literally just right. installed Git I followed the documentation. Why the fuck should I have to spend another, I don't know, 50 minutes, two hours debugging why this doesn't work? Do you have any idea why it wasn't working? I didn't look into it. I just destroyed the VM. I was like, all right, I'm just going to fucking move on. That's amazing. I, wow. It's astounding to me. I'm like, I'm sure I could have fixed it, but why should I have to? Literally, this is an evaluation. That's an F. That is an F right there. Right. I don't don't care how much they were, I, I don't care how many features they implemented, if your literal advertised functionality does not work, that's an F. It should work out of the box, period. Yeah, I agree. So that was, yeah, it just hangs at cloning into repo name. That's it. Yeah. Sat there for a good five minutes before I killed it and like, fuck wow. that shit. Yeah. And as I said, both Gogs and Gitty leaked to GitHub help pages directly instead of providing their own 
online, so to speak, documentation. So, I don't know. That was my saltiness with this. I would say go with GitLab out of the three. But, you know, for the two of you, go. I'm, I'm interested in hearing your input. Well, for GitLab, I really feel like, you know, you need to be aware that there are going to be more constraints for uh, hardware. You Absolutely. Require more memory. Absolutely. You know, but as far as being able to load it up and go and clone, pull, push, whatever you need to do. actually work. I mean, it's ready to go. It's ready to go. It does it. You put your keys on there. You're doing it. That's good. And for it works. For GOGS. <laughs> yeah, and it works. And it, literally, it does, the, it does the Apple thing. It just mm. works. For GOGS, I, I mean... I'm looking at the usage right now for memory and GOGS, and it's literally 322 megs right now. That's And I gave it 2 gigs, the VM. I gave it 2 gigs. That's a lot. And It's not a worrying amount, but it still seems like it's a little over what it should be. I would say 150 or lower, and it, it should be solid. But Sure. I mean, I'm looking at it as it's running 300 megs. Mm. I'm sure there's a reason why, but, I mean, it's possible that I'm probably running too many versions of it. I, I mean... Who knows? My point is, it's using less than GitLab, so if you're concerned mm-hmm, about true. memory usage, then, you know, definitely, you know, give GOGS a try as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I mean, I you're going to you're gonna suffer you know. a little bit with a limited feature set and stuff, but but sure. if you're, like, a small to medium-sized business and you want that, yeah. like, if you just need, like Jathan said in S3E8, I guess it was, Yeah, I don't know if that was on air or not, and I, I haven't checked the raw yet, but he said at one point, like, if you just need a user-friendly interface to an internal Git, like, it's perfect for it. And I agree. I agree. Right. After using it, I would right. agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't try Git T, so I'll, I'll let Jathan talk about that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But looking at it, looking at the install page versus GOGS, I really feel like, you know, their documentation is slightly better. A little bit, yeah. Which, to me, speaks volumes. I prefer better documentation than, you know, a super slick interface or whatever, what have you, you know? Sure. So to Jathan, I'll let you. Yeah, take it away, Jathan. I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I think Mm. it's pretty clear that there's some discrepancy in these products in terms of when you would uh, approach them Mm -hmm. for like a size perspective and like what you're actually trying to accomplish. I guess at the end of the day, I would use GitLab. I'm not sure I would use GOGS or GitT. Yeah. Ever, period. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the issues once you're done with this? I want to give you that honor. Oh, I mean, I don't want to talk about it extensively, but it was something we talked about mm-hmm. last episode when we were talking about this. Like, oh, if you're evaluating a new a new software product or whatever that you want to implement, check out their open issues, see how responsive they are, see what the severity is. Like, mm-hmm. if there's 900 security issues open that none of them are resolved, it's like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to avoid this. So that's exactly the first thing I did before I even tried installing any of these. Yeah. And GOGS has a lot of open issues. <laughs> yep. Yes, they do. Like, oh, do they? Do you want to give us the number? I don't have it open, but I wanted to say it, I'll, it was I'll look like it up. over 900, I think. Yeah. And for he's, a very he's, small... He's not memeing. He's not trying to make it over 9,000. No, no, no. It's literally... No, for like a, a very small project. Yeah. All right. Let's look this up. Let's get the actual number. As of this moment, Saturday, June 16, 2018, 1746 Eastern. That's 546 for those that don't use 24-hour... It has 605 open, 3,411 closed. Yeah. Wow. So Git T then, I did open that one, has 789 open. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So in both those cases, I also clicked through a couple, and they have pretty good labels, so you can tell what kind they are. So like... But labeling only goes the... so far, you know. Yeah, well, right. So the well, thing with well, GOGS is like... What I was going to say is... It's not like... I was able to... 
sorry, it's not like bugs are being opened frequently. The last one was open three days ago, so that tells me they're not very responsive. They still have 605 open, Yeah. and the last one was open three days ago? Like, that has me a little worried. But sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, keep no, going. No, it's fine. So, at least on the Git-T issues, they have a label specifically for security issues, so I mm-hmm. clicked that one because, you know, functional issues are one thing, but issues that are going to compromise your users, that's a much bigger deal, I would argue. And so security issues, they really only have 12 that are labeled, at least. Mm-hmm. But looking at the 12 that are open, one of them is that their Git-T bot account was compromised, <laughs> which has access to their source code. Yeah. So you can you can consider them compromised. Unless they yeah. t- entirely scrapped it and, and restored it from like a one of the developers' local checkouts or something. But... Yeah, there's a couple things here about several access tokens being stored in plain text in the database. Oh, wow. So wow. so I I found those to be a little off-putting. Yeah. There are, sure. for and what it's worth, there is a security label for GOGS as well. They have four open. But again, it doesn't seem like all of their issues are as you know comprehensively labeled as GitTs are. So who knows how many more there actually are. Anyways, sorry, keep going. No, that's really all I have. I mean, at the end of the day, I do use GitLab. Mm-hmm. I would not, you know, I would not hesitate to use it again. Not for a small group. Again, it'd have to be a substantial number of people that needed the access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't think there's a problem with it. I would not recommend the other two. But that is my takeaway. But Jathan, Gogs and Gitty are written in Go. That automatically makes them better. <laughs> no, I don't think Go should be used to write web applications. I. Well, you seem to have a hard on for it, so you know my feelings about Go. I hate it. Yeah, I got a guy at work that I work with who just loves Go, and I'm just like, I have noticed that it attracts a certain type of developer, and those developers are usually terrible. So that's that's a generalization. Yeah, but it's an accurate one. Generalizations aren't always inaccurate. You know what? No, I'm not. I'm not talking about this. We've already done this. <laughs> we have. Well, look, just for you, we'll spend an entire episode on a Jathan versus Root, Jathan versus Brent rant about Go. Okay. Why stop with that Go? I'm on vacation. <laughs> Why stop with Go? Because we yeah. tend to agree on other languages sucking. We both hate Ruby on Rails. We both hate Java. Yeah. But you mean Go is the one we primarily disagree on entirely. Yeah, okay, fair. So. All right, anyway, anything else for this segment? I think we're done. We've covered it pretty a lot more extensively than I thought we would. Like I was going off notes I wrote down, which is why I had so many rants about it. But yeah, my takeaway is definitely you know, yeah, it does require a little bit more resources, and yeah, it's a little bit more complex, and yeah, it does seem targeted for larger organizations or Git hosting providers themselves, but I would still go with GitLab, and I think all three of us agree on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Jathan? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I'd say we're done with this. Go to the baddie. Take it baddie. away, son. Baddie. All right. Baddie. This week's baddie is going to someone I don't know. Well... Okay. I mean, it's, what, like 10 years old, technically? Yeah, so I think that, yeah. We could so, find it. I, I Honestly, I'm busy, so I probably won't be able to dig through the commit history and find who's responsible for it. But it's an old one, and we're too lazy to look it up exactly. Yeah, right, okay. Too busy anyway, to look it up exactly. We have a CVE, CVE 2018 Mm-hmm. And it is called SIG Spoof, Spoofing Signatures in GNU PG, Enigmail, GPG Tools, and Python GNU PG. I'm so proud of you for, for saying GNU. Well, it is. Instead of new. Why would I say new? Because it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> okay, sorry, keep going. Have you seen the new GNU? Uh, 
Anyway, <laughs> the sort of short version of this is that there's a signature verification routine in these tools that I just mentioned mm-hmm. that parse the output of GPG 2.2.6 with a specific option. And it basically allows remote attackers to spoof any arbitrary signature via the embedded file name parameter in OpenPGP literal data packets. Only if the user has the verbose option set in their gpg.conf file. Which isn't the default, I should mention. It is not the default. Yeah. So, a couple of things. Most of these aforementioned packages have already been patched. Mm -hmm. So, as long as you update, you're probably okay. You can also, you can specify no verbose explicitly. So, even if it's in someone's configuration, Mm -hmm. you can override that. Yeah. Yeah, you can override that. In any case, I don't admittedly know like a whole lot about exactly how this works, but there are some really interesting proof of concept. It's super stupid. Do you want me to tell you? Give it yeah. give you like the 30-second version. So It's just a file name, right? So in It's basically like a in uh, when you provide a it, during the process of providing a signature or creating a signature, I should say, a, a GNU PG slash open PGP signature packet. You can specify a file name yeah. that the signature should look for essentially and i don't know you can do essentially the same thing for encryption ones where it it decrypts to a certain file name i don't know if this is also affected by that or this also affects that but i know it works for signatures so you can specify a file name that it should look for which is handy i'll admit that it's handy but this entire thing comes from being able to parse like shell like cat and pipes and stuff embedded in the file name so there was no sanitation right. being right. done on that embedded file name within the pgp packets yeah so it's essentially an injection sort of yeah yeah i would say that yeah where upon trying to verify or read the signature it would end up parsing it out as a command to be executed that's the 30 second version but yeah it's essentially like it's akin to a sql injection only with shell yeah okay Anyway, so this baddie is going to... I don't even really know who, I guess. The GNU PG project. The GNU PG project And a nickname. Yeah, I mean, it's probably realistically like one person at some point did this, but nobody ever realized it. And, I mean, that's bad. Especially because yeah. GPG is just such a standard. Yeah, it's the best we've got. And it's showing some signs of cracking, which is... Not good, because we don't really have a viable alternative to what it does. We don't have a viable alternative for peer-to-peer, I I shouldn't say peer-to-peer, person-to-person encryption, verifying digital identities based on like a web of trust, a decentralized web of trust. We don't have another method for providing valid signatures, like cryptographically solid signatures. And we could provide hashes, but... So fucking what, you know? You can't verify yeah. that the hashes are correct, you know? So, yeah, I there's problems. There's definitely problems that, that are coming to light, and it kind of makes me sad. Yeah, well, yeah. it's just, at this point, we put so much weight on GPG mm-hmm. because it's, like, the only thing we have that's really not known, compromised in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. So... And the, thankfully, these are weaknesses that are being discovered, and I'm glad they're, they're being fixed before... Or, you know, I, I guess before abuse hits widespread use, it's possible uh-huh. someone's abusing this. But, yeah, I I don't know. I have worries about it. But hopefully the project's going to make a turnaround. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry that was like an uneventful baddie. But no, I'm I mean, very... that's it's a pretty big one if you... And we'll link to the blog article of the guy who discovered it. It's a good read. 
But it's it, like once you kind of understand it more, it's 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 a little horrifying. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it, that's it. That is this episode of System and Trivia. As predicted, or I guess anti-predicted, it's a long one. Sorry, guys. <laughs> At least it's not like every single time. No, 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 no. I that. said it might be, it's, but apparently I can't even say that. I can't even I hint. You might at be it. fucking wrong. I yeah, I guess so. I guess, I guess that opens up the it's Schrodinger's episode length. So this has been Sism Minutes Trivia. I am Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Pete. See you around.